Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat if you will. It's good to see everybody this morning. Um, glad to have our students back and uh, excited. You always bring so much energy, so much life to our church. And um, it's always good this time of year to see you guys get back in town and have you here at church. So um, just really excited to see what God has for you this semester. One of the things that's really cool about having a lot of college students in the church is we get the privilege and also a responsibility um, that we are able to pour into your lives uh, spiritually for a few years. And then as we pour into you, we equip you, um, hopefully um, help you grow in your relationship with God. Uh, you guys scatter and you go all over the world and uh, equipped to share the gospel to help other people come to know Christ and to walk with them as you make disciples. And that's really our heart and our goal for the college ministry is to be able to do that, to help you grow into the person, um, the man, the woman that God wants you to be and to fulfill the potential and the purpose that he's given you. And so we're excited you're back. I know we're going to have a great semester um, and it's going to be awesome to see what all God does uh, through you guys. And so um, today we're actually going to be in our second week of this series called Urgent. And where this comes from, it's just been on my heart for a while, um, just as the name of the series says, that I've just had this sense of urgency, that it's urgent for us to get the gospel message out. Not that it's um, never been urgent, but I just sense this even more. The, the, the narrative we're hearing um, through culture, it, it's just coming at us so fast. And uh, we need a different um, we need a different narrative. We need to proclaim the one narrative that truly saves lives. We need to uh, proclaim the good news that there is hope. Um, so many people today lack hope. So many people today are, are being pulled away um, from God. And, and people even in churches are falling away from God. And so it's, it's urgent for us to share the gospel. And today I want us to look at um, one, I want us to see the gospel. I want us, as we sang, to have more gratitude for what Christ has done, but also want us to see and understand the importance of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to move us, compel us, um, send us into the world to accomplish the things that he's called us to accomplish. It's not just about our own fruit. It's about going into the world and sharing the gospel and seeing a harvest of souls brought into the kingdom. What's really cool about that is the more people who come to know Christ, the more worship God gets. And so we're called to go and share um, this gospel with people. We're going to do this. If you turn all the way to the front of the Bible, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3. A lot of you are familiar with this passage, um, but I want us to look at the fall of man. Uh, and I want us to see how we respond typically to sin. And I want us to see how God responded to sin. And if you look at this, you know, God in chapters 1 and 2, he creates this uh, perfect place for mankind. The Garden of Eden. He fills it with uh, trees that are fruitful. He gives them the tree of life in the middle of the garden. But also there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're given every tree to eat fruit from except this one. And we're going to read about what happens uh, when the enemy, the serpent, he comes in and he begins to tempt. And it says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. 
He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit, listen to this, when the woman saw that the fruit was good for food, number one, pleasing to the eye, number two, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, number three, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were both naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the fruit that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and eat dust. All the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your power and the power and authority of your word. I thank you for the authority of the name of Jesus. It's a name that's above every name. I pray today that your word would sink deeply into our hearts and that. God, your spirit would stir our hearts, that we would once again be filled with your spirit, that your love for us would rain down on us, that your spirit would blow through us like a mighty rushing wind, and that, God, we would be compelled by your great love and empowered by your spirit to carry your good news into the world, that, God, we ourselves would be encouraged. We ourselves would be grateful for the things that you have done. Lord, we pray that multitudes upon multitudes would turn to you to realize the truth, that their eyes would be opened. They'd realize there is an escape from the shame and guilt and sin of the world, and it's in you. Lord, you are a mighty fortress that goes before us. The battle does belong to you. The victory is yours, and we give you praise for that. God, I pray your word would do what you say it does. It would teach, rebuke, correct, and train us so that we'd be thoroughly equipped for every good work you've called us to. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how many of you guys, um, you like food? You like food. Anybody like food? You just like to eat. Anybody just like to eat? I like to eat. I like to eat. I enjoy eating. How many, how many of you, though, listen, you're the person that you're kind of the meat and potatoes kind of person, the sweets, they, they don't really do it for you as much. But, man, like you like the meat, you like the potatoes. Like, like the worst thing for you would be to go on a no-carb diet because you like the bread and the French fries and, and that kind of thing. Anybody like that? That's, that's you. You can pass up the sweets. But that, how about the other ones? Like you don't care about the steak. You just want the cake, right? Anybody in here like that? And then how many of you are like me and you just like all of it? You just want to eat it all, right? Yeah. 
That, that's how I am. I just want to eat it all. And here's the thing. Probably all of you at some point have made this statement or had this intention that I'm going to start eating healthy. Anybody ever made that, that decision? Yeah. How many of you have made that decision and actually done it? Yeah. There's a few people I know. Yeah, put your hand down. You, you make us look bad. But, but we make that decision, and, and so many times, like, we do that, and then for the sweet tooth person, we walk by the cake, right? And it's like that cake is calling our name. It's just calling. It's, it's, it's seductive, right? It's like it's just calling our name, and, and we, we, we think about it, and we're like, you know, I had a really stressful day today. And, I mean, I've been on this diet for a day already, <laughs> and I felt so much pressure. And so I really think I owe it to myself to eat a piece of this cake. Or, you know, you come by the French fries. French fries is like kryptonite for me, man. I, I, I love French fries. And so you come by those fries, man, it's like I, I just, I, I can't resist that. I, I want those, right? And, and, and we end up rationalizing. We can come up with a thousand reasons why I should eat that piece of cake, why I should eat those French fries, why I should eat that, break that diet, break that intention. And when we look at sin in Genesis chapter 3, what we see is that the enemy comes in and he really does this with Eve. He does this with Adam. There's this enticing. There's this look, look at this. He, it's almost like he's holding the fruit up in front of them and going, look at this. Don't you want this? Don't you realize how good this would be for you? Why don't you, you know, just take it. It's not going to hurt you. It's really not. And, and we read this and we see how seductive sin is. Sin is seductive. It, it draws us in. It, it promises something good. It promises something that's going to help us. But in the end, it leads to destruction. In the end, as we see in Genesis 3, it leads to death. But it starts out and it tells us this, that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, See, I believe this speaks to these things in life that we look at and we think, if I can get a hold of this, then it's going to fill me. If I can just get this job, then, then it's going to fill something inside of me that, that's empty. Um, I, I, if I can get this raise, it's going to do something for me that, that, that nothing else could possibly do. If I could just get to this level of income, then I'm going to be happy. If I could just get into this relationship, or if I could just maintain this relationship and keep this relationship, I know that I would be happy. I would be whole on the inside. And the reality of it is there's nothing that's outside of us other than God that's going to be able to fill that emptiness inside of us. There are temporary things that try to do that that we think are going to accomplish that purpose, but they never do. It goes on and it, it says that the fruit was pleasing to the eye. I think this speaks to those sensual things in life. It speaks to, to sex. It speaks to porn. It, it speaks to get that, that next buzz, you know, getting to the bottom of another bottle. It speaks to that next high. And we think the, these things are somehow going to help us get through life. They're going to generate life. And, and they never do. They just leave us empty again. And we try over and over, and it's the acts of the flesh. It's, it's their, their acts because you have to do them again and again. Constantly trying to fill something that can't be filled. We, we look at this, and it says it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. To gain wisdom, I think this speaks to this 
attraction to power and influence and status, to be seen as something, to just be okay in the eyes of others. But there's something that is so seductive about power and influence and status that we will literally sell our soul to try to attain it. See, we don't want to worship God. We want to be God. And it speaks to our self-sustaining nature, our desire for independence, our desire to not have to depend on God to be the provider, to be the one who gives us the ability, to be the one who gives us strength. Our tendency, our nature is to do it on our own or to attempt to do it on our own. We are bent that way. And so we look at this and we see the seductiveness of sin, how it's easy to get drawn in. And then we see that when they go and they, they, they take the fruit, we see the relationship begin to be broken between Adam and Eve. Eve, when chapter 2 was a source of blessing, now in chapter 3 she's become a source of blame. Eve's making rationalizations for why she ate it. We see that both of their eyes were open. They realized they were naked. They felt shame, so they went and hid. But as they did that, they sewed these fig leaves together, right? And these fig leaves were going to cover them and their nakedness so they would feel no shame and guilt. And we look at this, and here's where this has been in my heart. This is really the burden I've had in my heart um, for the last couple of days. As I have all these notes, I could go in my office, I could show you all these notes that I've typed up. And I had all these notes, and I could come out and I could give this good talk, I give this good message, right? I, I could just go through these notes. But then here's what happened. I started picturing faces that I would be talking to. And here's where it really got to be a burden for me. It became more than a message again this week. And I never want to talk to you unless I have a burden for what I'm telling you. But the burden became this, that I know there are people right now who are sitting in their seats in these chairs right here, right now, and you're drowning in sin. I know there are people here right now who you're drowning in guilt, you're drowning in shame, you're drowning in condemnation, and here's what you're doing. You're trying to work yourself out of it. You, you, you may still be giving in to the sin, but the guilt is there. The shame is there. You, you, some of you are feeling shame and guilt for things, not that you may be doing now, but for things you have done. And the enemy is literally coming and killing and stealing and destroying the life that God intended for you to have. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy the enemy. But Jesus came to give life and give it abundantly. But so many people in here right now, you feel like you are literally up to your nose sinking in shame and guilt and sin and all of these things. But here's the problem with that. Here's the problem. You're sinking. You're going under. You may feel like it's the relationship. It's your marriage. It's your job. You're sinking and you're going under. And here's the problem with that. You think that you can fix it with fig leaves. You think that you can do something to cover it up. You think that somehow I can break this bondage to this sin, to this, to this pornography, to this sexual addiction, to this love for money. 
I can break this addiction on my own, and you're sowing fig leaves, and it never works. You think that if I can just go long enough without doing this sin, without doing this thing, or if I can go long enough and forget about this moment of my life, then that shame and guilt will go away. But there's always somebody, there's always someone, there's always something that's going to remind you of that moment, and you get flooded again with the guilt and shame from that moment. But you keep trying to sow fig leaves. See, fig leaves to me, what they represent is religion. What they represent is us trying to save ourselves. What they represent is us trying to get rid of our own guilt and shame. And the problem with that is it never works. The problem with that is we can't save ourselves. In fact, what's amazing is Adam and Eve have just destroyed God's perfect creation, right? And it's not like God's surprised by this. It's not, it's not like he didn't know where they were hiding. Uh, a game of hide and seek with God is the worst game you can play, right? It's not like they, they're fooling God. But in the midst of them destroying this creation destroying the purpose for which God created them. We come to Genesis 3.15, and this is what it says. God tells the enemy, he tells the serpent, he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That is the very first prophecy of Jesus Christ that will come into the world to defeat the enemy. When he says this, this is what he's referring to. He's referring to one who will come into the world at some point in history who will defeat the enemy and what mankind just had handed over to him the authority what he just handed over him to them their life everything this person this man will come into the world and he will crush the head of the serpent even though he will pierce his heel even though Jesus went to the cross and he died on a cross and he took the condemnation and he took the wrath and he took the punishment for our sin Satan had had uh, pierced his heel but guess what Jesus crushed his head it's why the series we did before called It Is Finished. It's why we can preach that series because Jesus, when he died on the cross, he could say it is finished because he was defeating Satan. And when he came out of the grave, he defeated death. He defeated hell. And Satan, his fate was sealed forever. And so we see this first prophecy. Then God goes on and he begins to deal with Adam and Eve and he tells them what's going to happen with them because of that. But look over in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. It says this, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Isn't this interesting? They had tried to clothe themselves, but they still felt shame and guilt. God says this, he says, I'm going to sacrifice this animal. I'm going to make this garment of skin, and I'm going to put it around you. And what God is showing us in this moment is he's showing us that you will never be able to cover your, sh your, your shame, your sin, and your guilt on your own. It will only be because I have made a way for you, and it's going to be through a sacrifice. You can go from that sacrifice in Genesis 3.21 all the way to the cross, and people are sacrificing all the way through the, through the Bible. And we live in this culture right now 
where if you've been in church in some way, you've been indoctrinated with this mindset that somehow I got to sow fig leaves, I got to get rid of my sin, I got to be this moral person that's going to get it all right. I can't make mistakes. If I make a mistake, it disqualifies me from God, from church, from relationship. It disqualifies me from everything. In some way, you have heard this, but that is not the gospel. That is called religion. See, here's where Christianity is separated from every other religion. Every other religion tells us that you need to work like hell to get to God so you don't go to hell. Christianity says that Jesus came, experienced hell for us so we don't go to hell. See, every other religion says work really hard and maybe one day you'll be good enough for God. God says you'll never be good enough for me, so I'm going to come to you. See, here's how we handle sin typically in the church. When we sin and something goes wrong, we have a tendency to run from God. When mankind was stuck in sin and we're enemies of God and, and, and we're rebelling and going away from God in our sin, God didn't run from our sin. God ran to our sin. And people can say, well, no, God can't look upon sin. But understand this. Why did he send Jesus? He couldn't look upon sin. How did Jesus look at anybody? How did Jesus look at, at, at these sinners that he came to save? See, Jesus came. He didn't come for those who were healthy. He came for those who were sick. He came for those who needed a doctor. He came for those who needed to be healed. And it's by his stripes that he took on his back and the beating and the cross that we are healed. It's not through our effort. You can never make yourself right with God. And he's showing us that in the very beginning, immediately after the fall. And for us in church, though, we're still sowing fig leaves. We're still trying to make ourselves right. Instead of just having gratitude for what God's done, instead of living through the power of his spirit, we're still trying to live by the rules. We're still trying to focus on the rules when the Bible tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus and run the race that he has set before us. The Bible tells us to abide in Christ and he'll produce the fruit. The Bible says if we walk in the spirit, then the fruit of the spirit will be produced in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of that will come from our lives, not because it came through your effort, not because it came through your ability, but because it came through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's another issue we face today. You know, it used to be that in culture, in our country, that most people would at least fake it, right? They'd at least sow the fig leaves. There's no telling what's going on behind the fig leaves. There's no telling what's going on behind the closed doors. But at least we try to fake it. But where we're at in culture today is we're just told to heck with the fig leaves. Just let it all hang out. It don't matter. Your truth's your truth. My truth's my truth. Just do whatever it is that you feel like is you. You do you. But here's the thing. There's one truth. And it's not popular, right? But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
Nobody else has done for you what Jesus did for you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we can deny that that's the truth, but it doesn't make it the truth any less. We can convince ourselves that something true is true. I can look in the mirror and tell myself I look 20 years old. Y'all didn't, didn't know I was that old, but... I can look in the mirror and I can tell myself I'm 20 years old. I can do this. I can do this every day until the point that I believe it. But does it make it true? No. I told somebody one time, I'm like, I look good for 67, don't I? They're like, you're 67? I'm like, no, I'm 45, but I'd look good if I was 67. <laughs> I could convince myself, but it doesn't make it true. And culture around us just says, let's normalize sin. Let's just make it okay so everybody's okay. But the reality of it is, and we see this in the beginning of Genesis, we see that God created the world with a design. He created the world with a design that would bring him glory. And all of us have fallen short of the glory. And here's where some of your minds are. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you where some of your minds are. You're looking at it and you're going, well, he's reading that of something where a snake was talking and this is so old and archaic. I mean, I, there's no way it could be true. Right? And, I mean, I don't even know that the Bible's true. I mean, if it talks about a talking snake, how can I believe it? But let me ask you this. Let me challenge you to this. You go find one sin in this book that we don't still deal with. You find one sin in this book that we don't still deal with. You show me how we can overcome sin with all of our intelligence, with all of our effort, with all the advances in technology. If knowledge is the key, then why is the world getting worse? Because we turned away from the one who can reconcile it and make it right. You can call it archaic, you can call it what you want to, but Jesus himself, he, he calls out the sins that we deal with, sexual immorality, murder, thief, gossip, slander. Same things we deal with. You know the incredible thing about the Bible? This is the only book. I don't care if you talk about the Quran. I know, look, this is, this is not politically correct. I don't care if you talk about the Quran. I don't care which biblical, religious, holy book you talk about. The only book that addresses the core issue that we deal with as human beings is the Bible. Because you cannot make yourself right with God. And God is holy, and he is right, and he is just, and he cannot overlook your sin. Evil will be punished because God is a just and righteous God. But God is so good, and he loves you, and he loves me so much that even in our sin, he made a way for us to come to him. Jesus is the righteous way for God to make us righteous. Because Jesus, the one who knew no sin, 
became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus went to the cross and he took the condemnation that should have been ours. Jesus went to the cross and he took our sin upon himself and he took the punishment for that sin. He was that final sacrifice. It wasn't gonna do for it to be another animal that was killed so we could be clothed with animal skin. It took the blood of the perfect son of God to pay the price and to ransom us out of the, the grip and of sin and death and hell. And God loves the world so much that he sent his son to do that for us. To make a way. And people can say, that's so narrow-minded. I mean, that's such a narrow way of thinking. There's, there's just say that there's one way. I mean, it's just narrow. Well, it's a lot broader than it was before Jesus died. I can tell you that. And we look at this, and yet the good news, they call it the good news for a reason. It's because it's good news. The good news is that Jesus has made a way for us to come to God. And we can look at it and we go, well, if it's not about me just working for morality, if it's not about me just working to be good enough for God, if it's not about me trying to, to make myself right through rules and things, then, then what is it? Because here's the thing, we fail every time we try to get it right. Most of us won't even get out of church before we failed. You're going to do something, see something, say something that's, that's going to trip you up. Heck, last week we had a hit and run in the parking lot. Of church. You need to repent. I ain't talking about a little bump. Oops, let's, let's, maybe it, it didn't do any damage. I'm talking about all the way down the car. Like, <laughs> at some point, you hit the brake and put it in drive and go the other way. But we are sinful people. You're forgive. You know, I'm not. I can't forgive you. I'm not Jesus. But but we're sinful and we can't make ourselves right. But if it's not through rules and our effort, then how do we make ourselves right? See, there's a different way. Look at Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet. Ezekiel chapter 36. Look at verse 24 and listen to what God says to the nation of Israel, which by the way, now as followers of Jesus, we've been grafted in to the nation of Israel. Once we were far from God, we weren't a part of his people. Now we've been made a part of his people. So listen to what Ezekiel prophesies that's going to happen in the future. In, in verse 24, it says, for I will, not Ezekiel, God will take you out of the nation. See, God has always been a God of the nations. He, it's not just a God of one nation, a nation. He's a God of the nations. He says, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle, listen, clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will move you from 
I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And listen, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. How many times does it say I will in there, right? It doesn't say you will. It says I will because it's God's initiative. It's God's power. It's God's work. God came and cleansed us from our sin and a guilty conscience. God came and gave us a new heart, a heart of flesh that's no longer bent away from him in rebellion, but that now has affection and love for him and is bent towards him in love. It's God who took away our heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. It's God who put his spirit in us and now will move us to follow his decrees. But here's the problem. We don't walk in the spirit. We still try to do it in our flesh. We still try to do it in our strength. Listen to now, let's go all the way to the the New Testament, Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul makes this statement. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the churches of Galatia. These are churches that he has founded through some of his missionary journey. And he's writing back to the churches of Galatia. And to be honest with you, he's quite ticked off. Because what's happening is these people are coming in and preaching a gospel that he says is no gospel at all. Because what they're doing is they're adding other requirements other than faith in Jesus for salvation. To be made right with God. To be in relationship with God. And he tells them in chapter 3, he begins that by saying, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? How is it, he says later on, that you started in the spirit and now you're returning to the flesh? In other words, how is it that you started in the spirit? Your salvation came through the spirit. You even saw miracles through the working of the spirit. And yet now you're turning back to the flesh that could not save you before. And yet for us as Christians, we do the same thing. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes and we see the glory of God in Jesus and we say yes to a relationship with Christ. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us a new heart. He puts his spirit in us. He begins to move us to follow his decrees and then we step into a church. And the church says, look, now that you've done this, let's get this, 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 and this out of your life. You, you need someone to hold you accountable to make sure you don't sin. When the reality of what it should be is that we're meeting together and gathering together to encourage each other towards love and good works. That we're encouraging each other to fix our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith and to run the race that he set out before us. It's not that sin and getting rid of sin is import, not important. This, what's important is the fact that if we don't look to Jesus and we don't look to his spirit to do it for us it's never going to happen if you could fix you you would have fixed you a long time ago but you can't fix you and I can hear him saying you foolish connection church how is it that you started in the spirit and now you're going to finish in the flesh 
And you go over to Galatians chapter 5. In verse 1. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. In other words, you've been set free from the burden of the law. You've been set free from the burden of trying to make yourself right. You've been set free through the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you were originally created to do. And listen to what he says. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He realizes this. We have to stand firm in the gospel or we're going to give ourselves over to the flesh. We have to stand firm in the gospel or we're going to be like the Galatians and we're going to revert back to what we can do in our strength. Part of the church's biggest problem is we have neglected the one that God has sent to us to give us the ability to live the life he's called us to live and his name is the Holy Spirit. We treat him like the red-headed stepchild. We just put him over in the corner and we're like, hey, we'll call on you if we need you. We'll sing a song about you, but don't show up. And we look at this and he says, don't let yourself stand firm. Don't let yourself be yoked again to the slavery of the law and trying to make yourself right. Listen to this. It says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Don't panic, men. What he's talking about and what circumcision meant back then, it was a sign of the old covenant. The Jews were circumcised. The Jewish men were circumcised. It was a sign of the old covenant. It was a sign of the covenant that they had made with God. It was a sign that they had agreed with God that they would follow all of the law, that they would keep his commandments. And then if they kept his commandments, he would be their God and they would be their people. The problem was that the law could never make them righteous. They could never fulfill the law. The law itself was perfect, but we are imperfect and our flesh is weak so we can't obey it. So when he talks about circumcision, he's not talking about a surgery as much as he's talking about an old way of relating to God. And he's saying if you revert back to this old way of relating to God, you need to understand that Jesus did nothing for you. He's of no value to you at all. He says, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Can you see how it's one of two ways? There's no middle option. It is either all Jesus or it's law. If you take a little bit of law and you mix it into all Jesus, guess what? It's no longer all Jesus. That means it's no longer the gospel. It's been perverted. He says, you who are now trying to be justified or made as if you've never sinned by the law, you have been alienated from Christ. And listen to this. It says, you have fallen away from grace. Let me tell you what I think that means, what I believe. 
I believe when he says you've fallen away from grace, see, we think of grace as just God's unmerited uh, favor and his, his unconditional love, and it is that. But it's much bigger than that. If you read through Scripture, you'll see how grace is so much bigger than just his love and his favor. And see, what grace really is is it's God's power and his ability doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And I believe what Paul is saying in this is if you turn away from the gospel and you begin to go back to circumcision and the law, then you need to understand you're going to have to obey it all and you're going to have to do it in your strength because you have fallen from God's ability in your life. You have said, no, God, I can do this on my own. And now it depends on you. So he's showing us there's two ways to salvation, obey the whole law or trust in Jesus. He's saying there's two ways of living the life of Christ in your strength or in God's. But he's very clearly saying there's no middle road. It's either my life is surrendered to Christ or it's not. I'm, I'm working in my ability or I'm living in his. There is no in-between. So how do I live in his ability? It comes back to abiding. It comes back, the word in Scripture, when it talks about abiding in Christ, the word in Scripture literally means to remain. So what it means is I remain with Jesus. I walk with Jesus. I am like a disciple back in the days when he was on earth. I remain with him. I walk with him. And the promise is, is that if I will abide in him, if I will remain in him, that he will produce fruit in my life. Galatians 5 goes on to say this, that if we walk in the spirit, in other words, if we are walking with God and we're pressing into God and we are just pursuing God and our eyes are fixed on Christ and we're remaining in him, the Bible says that we will not give in to the lust of the flesh. He says that if we're walking with Jesus, if we're abiding with Jesus, then he'll produce fruit in our life, the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience, all those incredible things that we see in the gospel, that we see in Galatians 5. He says this, if the Spirit of God is in us, he will compel us through his love to be ambassadors for Christ, to go into the world, to realize the urgency, to have that sense of urgency, to go and tell someone else about the one who has given you new life. See, it, it can't happen through your ability. It happens through God's strength and God's power. It happens when we finally come to this place of, first of all, admitting, and we come to this place of, of surrender, and we come to this place of salvation because we say, God, I realize that I am a sinner. I have fallen short of your glory, and I'm in a place, God, where I need your help. I'm drowning in sin. I'm drowning in guilt. I'm drowning in shame. God, I realize today my eyes are open, and I see, Lord, that Jesus came and paid a price for me that I couldn't pay. He came and took the wrath that you, you, you had stored up for my evil, all that fell on him because he literally plucked it off of me and put it on himself. And God, I see that today. And today I want to surrender to him as Lord and Savior of my life. See, that's the first step. If you don't know Christ and your heart's never been changed by Jesus and you've never come to know him and you've never been filled with the Spirit, you never really had any affection for God, you've never had any affection for Jesus, then the first step is to give your life to Christ, to surrender to him as Lord, to trust him as Savior. And then you receive the Spirit and he gives you that new heart 
He cleanses you and he washes you clean. And then he removes a heart of stone, gives you his spirit to move you to follow his decrees. That is step number one. And today, if you've never taken step number one to say, Jesus, I need to trust you. I want you. I want you in my life. I want to surrender to you as Lord. I'm tired of being Lord of my life. I'm tired of walking in shame and guilt and all of these things. And I realize that you are the one who takes that away. I realize that you are the one that took that upon yourself. And you are the one that paid the price for me. And Jesus, I want to be reconciled. I want to know the Father. I want to walk with the Father. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today is the day of salvation for you to take that first step, then what I would encourage you to do is right now boldly stick your hand in the air and say, today I need Jesus for the first time in my life. I need Jesus. I realize who he is and what he's done. And today I'm saying yes to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. We don't do it with heads bowed and eyes closed because it's not something to be ashamed of. This is not a final act. This is the beginning of a new life. And today you know that shoe, why don't you stick your hand in the air and say, today I'm coming to Jesus. I realize that God didn't run away from my sin. He ran to my sin and he ran to me through Christ. He's here today that that's you. Amen. awesome brother we have somebody pray with you if that's good that's cool with you because i know for people look you if you haven't been in church it's kind of odd right it's kind of odd to say i'm gonna raise my hand or i'm gonna stand up and take this bold step but awkwardness it's not gonna kill you who's here today the lord spoken to your heart today's the day of salvation one more time. Then I want to pray for us, those who are believers. And I want to encourage you today, you, you need the Lord to touch your life. Maybe it's to be filled with the Spirit of God, to surrender to Him. Maybe you're drowning in some shame and some guilt, and you just need to let that go and realize the Lord has cleansed you to ask for his spirit just to flood you. The Bible says if we ask for his spirit, that he'll give him to us. So when I begin to pray, if that's you, why don't you stand to your feet just in an act of faith and say, Lord, today I need you to touch my life. Would you take the shame, the sin, the guilt? Would you break this over my life? Would you fill me again with your spirit? And would you move me to follow your decrees? So I pray if you want to stand, you can. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the promise that you give us, that you've taken our sin, our shame, our guilt. You've taken all of that off of us. And God, I pray today that there would be a lot of repentance in this room. There'd be a lot of turning from our sin and turning to you. I pray, God, that in this moment, Lord, you would fill many, again, with the Holy Spirit, with the power of your grace, the power of your might. We love you, Lord, and we worship you today because you are worthy of our worship. Thank you for taking someone this morning from death to life, that they have a new beginning in you. I pray, God, that we would see that so much more, multitudes upon multitudes of people who say yes to you, 
I pray, God, that our eyes would be open. I pray for those whose eyes have been blinded by the God of this age so that they can't see the reality of Christ, that those scales would fall off and that they would realize the glory of the gospel. Would you fill us as we go and let us be faithful. Let us be ambassadors for you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.